I would be very cautious about getting into composting, whether it's with worms or just regularly composting, because it is literally a wormhole that you're going to go into that you might not ever come out of. You were just listening to John Craig, the master composter who runs the grassroots nonprofit We Compost, located inside the Farm and Food Lab at the Great Park, Irvine, California. This is Aaron Moskowitz, and you are listening to the Get In My Garden podcast, episode 75. In a moment, John will tell us how to get started in composting, some basic methods to try, and some of the experiments they are doing with worms and composting at the Farm and Food Lab. Then he shares the components of good composting and about his composting symbol that he has created for people to use while promoting and normalizing composting and compostable products. Later we discuss the basics of how to deal with specific composting issues and two book recommendations for vermicomposting and understanding the soil food web. John will tell us how to find the right local worms that will thrive in your soil wherever you are located. Reach out to me anytime to connect at Get In My Garden on Instagram or leave a note on the website getinmygarden.com or you can stalk me on Facebook. Also, if you do go to the website, it's pretty basic. You can sign up for the newsletter easily there. I've barely sent anything out, but I will periodically send interesting articles and supplemental content through the emails. So I guess the, the first question is, how do you start composting? It is not an exact science, but that being said, generally just composting itself is one aspect of someone's life, if they choose to to partake in it, that they absolutely cannot fail. If they failed at everything else, you know, marriage, jobs, whatever it is, composting, you just can't fail. You might not be doing it perfectly. You might not, you know, be doing exactly the way it should be done or it will happen and it will, it, it will happen. You started with worms, you said, or that's your focus now. Do you recommend that people starting out try worms or what would you recommend for them? I would recommend whatever is the easiest way to do it. And a lot of people to start by digging a hole in the ground and putting their food waste in the ground. I would, if they do something like that, I would recommend that they don't do it in the garden, do it someplace else. And the reason is because all the microbes and fungi and bacteria will be going towards the food waste and away from your actual garden. And it'll take a while for that to break down and to actually make a difference in your garden. But so hey, I'm going I'm gonna to contradict myself again. <laughs> and so I'm in Southern California. Oh, you and are? Okay. One of the absolute easiest ways to compost is and, and this is going to be in your garden you're going to get a post hole digger dig a two foot hole and go to lowe's and buy a what's called a sonic tube okay it is a cardboard cylindrical tube that's used for making concrete forms four feet long uh, eight inches in diameter I recommend is you cut it in half and then drill one inch holes in it, bury it almost all the way into the ground, add the food scraps and add the worms. You might not have to add the worms. If you have a ton of worms in your garden, the worms will come in and eat the food. 
and go out and fertilize your garden. If you don't have worms already, you'd want to add about a half a pound of worms in there. And again, in theory, they're going to eat the food scraps and then go outside the in-ground worm bin and fertilize your garden. My farm is at the uh, Farm and Food Lab inside the Great Park in Irvine. Oh, cool. And it's very, very cool. So we do experiments. And so one of the experiments is that we're doing right now is with this in-ground worm bin to see, you know, do the worms go outside this bin? And it's going to be interesting because four inches down, it's almost uh, clay sand. Very little organics at all. Uh So there's no reason for them to go out. And then the reason this works in Southern California is I sell worms. And when I sell them, the last thing I want something to happen is for someone to get the worms, get all excited. They're going to, you know, save the planet improve the garden all these things all the worms die so it's an investment of energy and time and you know the enthusiasm they're going to say you know i'm done i tried it it didn't work Mm -hmm. and and down in southern cal and other places in the south it just gets so hot that it's hard to keep the worms alive sometimes Uh, if you don't have them inside or if your garage isn't air conditioned or you know, you don't have a nice shady spot. Uh-huh. When it gets to be 105 and above, it's the worms are under stress and they either run away or start just start to die. So with it in the ground, it's going to be cooler. And even if it does get, you know, warm in the bin itself, they can they can escape. That's a really cool idea just as a way to foster the life of the worms and then Hopefully they will move out. Yeah, it's it's and it's and you know you, a lot of these composters you'll see cost you know upwards of one hundred fifty dollars. So, uh-huh. I mean, this thing will cost you literally ten dollars, plus another twenty for the worms. So you know, total investment of thirty bucks, you're improving your soil and saving the planet. That's awesome. Well, so if someone doesn't want to do worms because maybe they're in the desert and it's too hot and they don't, I mean, I think that there are ways to, of course, keep them alive no matter what. But if they just were going to go regular composting, as you mentioned, like burying food, basic, uh, on you know, in the corner of their yard, uh, what can they expect? So originally, I, I was I, I was living in Ohio, and I moved out here about five years ago. In Ohio, it was, it was fairly easy. I mean, summer, winter, whatever it was, there's no problem getting the heat up. But in the southern states, the problem is, and I had a very difficult time when I first started, because all the food scraps, the oranges, oranges lemons, whatever, they would all dehydrate before they had a chance to compost. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like New so Mexico. Yeah. My favorite method is um, putting it in a any sturdy metal wire frame, like hardwood uh-huh. cloth, make it into a circle about three feet in diameter, three to four feet in diameter, and just start piling in your food scraps. Can you describe that again, like uh, just so the visual is really clear for people? You can t- take a piece of uh, three-quarter inch hardware cloth, which is just uh, wire mesh, you can uh-huh. use chicken. You can use chicken wire. Anything that has some sort of stability to it. 
you want it to be about four feet high, three to four feet high, and a three to four feet in diameter. Gotcha. Put your food waste in there and your, you know, your browns and your greens. And when it fills up, what I do is mine is made of uh, sturdier metal. It's actually runway strips. I'm at an old airport and they had extra. So, oh, cool. I try to repurpose or reuse what's all already available without having to buy anything. And so I was able to take this and bend it. And I, I take a metal rod, you know, when it's full, the temperature starts, you know, going down. I lift it up and put all the material back in while I'm turning it. And what do you recommend, like if somebody's got a smaller operation, because if you've got a big corral that you're putting all your scraps in, I guess you're putting your yard waste in there as well. But uh, for well, smaller operations. A lot of people have, they have grass. And one thing, uh, grass is really good to heat up your compost pile. But the fact is, you absolutely do not want to be putting your grass into your compost bin. You want to be cutting it and letting it sit right on your lawn because your grass is about 97, 96% water. Mm -hmm. And in that water is all those nutrients that you want to go right back into the soil. So within, you know, a day or two, you'll not, all the grass will be gone. It's, it's best to just keep that stuff in, in your lawn. Yeah. But you're right. The, the operation now is, is, is it's, it's good. What I'm describing is good for like, if you have a lot of leaves, let's say, you know, a lot of things you can compost because usually just the food scraps, it's not going to fill that bin up. That's why compost with worms is, is so popular, I guess. Because you can do really small amounts and keep it, keep an eye on well, how mo moist it is and all that. Yeah. A pound of worms, in theory, can eat a half a pound of food a day. And I've heard numbers up to four pounds a day. One of the major issues that people have is they, they hear that number and they overload the worm bin and then it goes anaerobic and smelly and all the worms die and tracks flies and they give up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But going back to this, the regular composting, what I highly recommend is whatever is easiest. Even a small, like uh, I had a, a fire pit where we had those, that screen around it. Then the fire pit rusted out, but the screen was still good. The screen was only, you know, probably a foot tall by two feet wide. And I use that. If you put in, you know, the right proportions of your greens and browns, it'll get nice and hot and it'll work. There's a difference in that, what, what comes out of a regular compost bin and a vermicompost bin. Can you describe like what the final product is that you'd be dealing with? There are a lot of similar similarities and there's a lot, and there's a few differences. When you finish with the, your pure, uh, your regular composting, it's all sifted and then it's cured for, you know, a few months, up to six months. You're going to have some really good stuff. You're looking for pure humus. Yeah. And when you reach that point, even in the scientific community, it's debatable. It's basically, it's unrecognizable from what it was, what, what the original material was. You can't see any, you know, veins from the old leaves or anything else. It's just completely unrecognizable. But it's, it's still organic matter. The, the worm castings themselves, if it's absolutely pure worm castings, is just what it says, but it's, it's, it's poop. It's worm poop. Uh -huh. And they, as far as the benefits, they both have similar benefits. They're excellent for your soils. But according to Clive Edwards, 
and a number of uh, other individuals that are a lot smarter than me, increases the plant growth rate. It feeds your plants. It protects your plants from pests and diseases. So it sounds like maybe the worm castings might be more microbially active. If you do it right, it's going to have plethora of microbes and fungi. Uh-huh. But uh, yes, yes, that's, that's exactly true. Well, I was looking at your website uh, to sort of change the subject and to go back to kind of what you were originally saying you were working on with the symbol of the composting. Can you talk about that, where we're at and what it means and what your vision for that is? Thank you for asking. So that's actually one of my main focuses. We compost, it's a grassroots nonprofit. It had occurred to me that, you know, there is no symbol for composting. If you're going to communicate or promote an idea or a thought or a product, there is no company out there, very few anyway, that don't have symbols. When you think of composting, the thought process is, you know, anywhere from decaying leaves to, you know, and incorrectly, you know, rats and flies and smells. Uh-huh. What I did was I took the recycling symbol, absconded it because Mother Nature is the ultimate recycler and she does it through composting. And I colorized the arrows blue, brown and green. And I actually took the green arrow and I'm turning it into a green leaf. Colors are important because number one, it tells you how to make good compost, what the, what the elements are for making good compost is. Blue is you need air and water. Brown would be all your carbons and green would be all your nitrogens. So if you have those four elements mixed in the, in the correct order, correct amounts, you're going to have good compost. And then it has a second meaning that talks about the benefits. Some of the benefits of composting is, it, you know, blue, it cleans the air and the water. When, when you spread compost out on a field or even in your garden or anywhere, it helps the plants pull in up to 75% more CO2 from the atmosphere. So, I mean, just using it, you're, you're helping offset climate change. Compared to very conventional landscaping and garden practices, I assume. Sure, sure. And then... Um, Where they're not building the soil at all. Right, right. And it also helps bind heavy metals. So if you have you know, any contaminants in your soil or water, it will bind them to the compost and it won't go anywhere. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's just the, the blue. And then you get the, the browns, which you know it helps build your soil, obviously. And the green, it adds, brings life. And then there's got to be a certain amount of moisture and there's got to be oxygen, right? Air, yeah. So the rule of thumb for the amount of water, and a lot of the what you compost already has water in it. We talked about grass having, you know, almost 100%. Right. But when it's composting, you want to be able to squeeze it and get one drop of moisture out. So both when you compost with worms or uh, regularly, thermophilically, it, you want it to be like a, a wrung out sponge. With air, the worms you don't have to worry about. Uh, the worms will do all the aerating for you. But, you know, again, you have one group of people that love to fluff. So you have the fluffers and non-fluffers. But What does that mean? They like to constantly meddle with the worms' act- uh, activities? or <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So 
put new food in it and they mix it all up and you know it just it makes them happy <laughs> so they're super hands-on with the worms if you take off your gloves is an absolutely excellent thing because there have been studies showing that actually getting your hands dirty working in the soil working in the in the compost you'll get this bacteria in the soil that will activate serotonins in your brain producing endorphins which make you happy just from personal experience i mean i, I love working in the garden and, and the compost so it makes it just makes me happy yeah well and so <laughs> as far as the dryness goes like when it's super dry and you're you're composting and everything's getting dehydrated what do you recommend for that situation can you put them in bags or add water once again there's a, there's a couple different thoughts so when you add water I absolutely highly recommend collecting rainwater and using that or well water and using that. Mm -hmm. The idea is to get as much microbes, whether it's thermophytic or with the worms, as much as possible. And when you have chlorine and chloramines in your water, you can't help but, you know, it's, it's, they're meant to kill pathogens. And right. if you have enough good bacteria, you're not going to have any bad. So... I try to stay away from uh, city water. That makes sense to me. As just collecting rainwater is possible even in a desert. So, I, I mean, people have witnessed, I think, almost everybody just using tap water to, you know, on house plants, how detrimental it can be. It, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's like you're in, when you watch your garden and you're watering it every day and everything else, and all of a sudden it rains and you see amazing growth right off the bat. It's like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. What are you with your symbol for compost? How are you using it and how are you promoting it? And what will the benefit be for everybody? I mean, is it just to bring more awareness to composting as a system? So there are a number of ways that I'd like to see it being utilized. One way is uh, we collect food scraps from the neighborhood. They, it's a drop-off. And on the outside of the trash can, we have that symbol to remind them it's not trash. It's, you know, for composting. Cool. The problem also goes... The fact that if you want to reproduce it, sometimes it can't be reproduced, be colorized at the same time. That's why the the leaf made the, the green arrow, you know, a green leaf. And if it can't be colorized, you just you see the leaf and know that it's compost. Like T-shirts. So if a T-shirt's 100% cotton, they can have that composting symbol on the tag. So you don't just throw it away. It's just an easier way to promote composting and bring awareness to it. That's great. By the way, if any of your listeners, you know, want to use it, please, they can go to we as in you and I compost and then a number two. So we compost two on Instagram or Facebook. You'll see the recycling symbol with the three colors in it. I didn't have it updated to use the green leaf. You'll get the idea. And if you want to, you know, please take it and run with cool. it. That is actually the mission of We Compost is promote on-site composting. And anyone that wants to use it, I would love for them to do so. When people are starting out, the odors and the smells, the problems that can happen, is it easy to fix these problems? Because that's, what I think, what would cause people to give up. You know, you said the rats, the yeah, flies, yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. So uh, a number of things you can do to combat specific issues. And what I'm going to say can be transferred to both a worm bin or a regular compost bin. Well, you can cover with leaves, shred of paper, coffee grounds, uh, help absorb the odors, or finished compost. So if you put a layer of finished compost on top, 
it'll absorb the odors and keep the flies out. Going back to the thermophilic, if you turn it, the compost pile, the stuff that's in the center, if it's not getting air, you'll get an initial whiff of odors because it's going anaerobic, but then it'll dissipate very quickly and there won't be any odors. So that can change quickly. The, the microbes very, that are, yeah. they'll die off and the, the beneficials will come back. Absolutely. And if you get those, the, and if you get the heat, te- the hot temperatures, I mean, the, the microbes are just doing all the work they possibly can to eat that stuff. Temperature up to about 150. Thermometers are extremely important to help you monitor what's going on. Highly, highly recommend, you know, if you're going to buy, you know, one tool beside the fish uh, pitchfork. <laughs> yeah. The gym's being closed. I mean, this is excellent exercise. It, it's, it's absolutely good for you. Fresh air. I mean, the, the benefits are, it's a huge list. I recommend two books to everyone that is thinking about going to this, specifically for worms. And both of these books will save you countless hours on YouTube and the internet, which has a ton of misinformation. So both these books are, are really good. One is written by the godmother of worm farming. May she rest in peace, Mary Applehoff. It's called Worms Eat My Garbage. And the second book is the book that I had to read to become a master composter. When you buy this, I'd buy it with a highlighter. It is easy to read, full of excellent information, fantastic pictures, and it'll teach you how to grow your soil. And it's called Teeming with Microbes by Jeff Lowenfeld. Nice, nice. Yeah, his books are so awesome. And I would say they've come up probably at least a handful of times different recommendations from people who came on the podcast. So that's really good to hear. Yeah, it's my Bible. If someone wants to compost with worms and the uh, the, heart, the problem is finding the worms, for me, it's kind of redundant because I do it. But a simple Google search on Google Maps for, you know, then type in worm farm. A number of times I've seen people try to, you know, populate the worm bin with worms they get at Walmart or something in the fishing section. And it's just there's too few worms, too expensive, and it's just easier and more productive to actually go someplace local and talk to the farmer and get his insights and get his worms and then support local businesses. That's awesome. It seems like if you get your worms locally, they might be likely to have a higher chance of surviving in your soil conditions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you go one step further, you, you'd like to find someone that's feeding the worms the same thing that you're going to be feeding them. You know, it's already a traumatic experience being harvested, sorted, transported, and given a new home. And then uh, on top of that, new food. Darwin thought these guys were extremely intelligent, and I'm not no one to doubt Darwin. So, um. <laughs> Well, maybe that'll be your next thing is you know, lobbying for the worms. <laughs> Give them a voice. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Next week, we have an interview with an organization in the UK that has created a program to get children directly involved with gardening and insects to turn them into ecosystem stewards via their books and music programs. Also in the next episode, I'll be reviewing a separate book for young adults, a graphic novel of the best-selling science memoir called Naturalist by Edward O. Wilson, which will be available on November 10th. Thanks for listening, and reach out to me anytime to connect at Get In My Garden on Instagram, or leave me a note on the website, getinmygarden.com. Share ideas for interviews and ask questions. Also, if you do go to the website, you can sign up for the newsletter easily there. 
I have barely sent anything, but will send interesting articles and supplemental content th through these emails, as well as news about Get In My Garden and promos whenever possible.